Hey neighbor, I appreciate you stopping by. It's a great evening tonight. Fall's in the air. Won't be long. It'll be Christmas time. But hey, pull up a chair. I'll run inside the house and get you a cup of joe. I'll be right back. Hey, you're listening to Quad Dog Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. Episode 45, Books, The Power of the Written Word. I want to clarify a few things right up front. First of all, I'm a slow reader that started elementary school in two reading classes because I was behind the curve going in. Also, I've been reading all my life, both for personal enjoyment and academic necessity, but I don't read as often as I would like. Third, I have several books I'm in the process of reading that I haven't finished yet. I will finish them. I'm just still in process. I can't fully explain my continued interest in reading, but I can connect some of the life dots for you. My beginning interest goes all the way back to elementary school and authors like Theodore Geisel, also known as Dr. Seuss, and P.D. Eastman, who wrote such children's classics as Are You My Mother, Go Dog Go, and Red Stop, Green Go. Then there was the Scholastic Book Services that was promoted at school, and I always enjoyed buying a book when I could afford it. I still have a book I bought around 1970 titled Case of the Fugitive Firebug, by Scott Corbett. It's a 128-page paperback book with just a few line drawings scattered throughout. On the back cover, it reads, How many boys have a treehouse with a burglar alarm? Young detective Roger Teal does. A good thing, too. A suspicious fire destroys a valuable car. Roger's alarm rings in the middle of the night, and it looks like a new case for the famous boy bloodhound. Case of the Fugitive Firebug launched me into the world of books whose protagonist was a kid my age, average, and a private investigator that solved mysteries. Those who know me now would not necessarily classify me as an introvert, but as a kid, I was quiet in school. I enjoyed playing in my room by myself with the door closed. A big part of that time alone in my room was spent reading. My expanded reading horizon into the mystery genre took me to three series among many that I thoroughly enjoyed. By the time I reached junior high, I had a city library card and not only checked out books at school, but at the city library as well. The Hardy Boys series was at the top of the list with a lot of books to choose from. When my two boys came along, I bought several of the books in the series to read to them, and one of them still has the books today. Two additional series that were amazing were the Brains Benton Mystery Series and Alfred Hitchcock and the Three Investigators series. The Brains Benton Mysteries were a series of six books written in the late 1950s and early 1960s that chronicled the adventures of young teenagers Barclay Brains Benton, also known as X, and his friend James, Jimmy Carson, also known as Operative Three. They together formed the Benton and Carson International Detective Agency. I have three of the six books from my childhood and purchased the other three books online in the past couple of years. All six titles are in hardback. Check out a couple of these descriptors. In book one, The Case of the Missing Message, published in 1959, when Jimmy braves the spooky old Madden place, he spots a boy in hiding. Thinking he's kidnapped, he and Brain sneak in and foil a real kidnapper while rescue arrives atop a stampeding elephant. In book three, The Case of the Stolen Dummy, published in 1961, when the boys venture to creepy boiling lake, they spot a submerged car with a body inside and end up chasing crooks on a wild midnight ride in a hot rod. <laughs> Jimmy Carson, Operative Three, is the main character of the book, and it's his voice that tells the stories. I fully identified with Jimmy. Alfred Hitchcock and the Three Investigators was a little more of a stretch into the surreal elements of the mystery genre 
mainly from the foundational premise of the series that three kids were called on by the great film director Alfred Hitchcock to solve real mysteries. I have two of the books from the series that I've kept since the late 1960s, The Mystery of the Green Ghost and The Mystery of the Vanishing Treasure. The authors of these series captivated my mind because they understood the perspective of a young boy and wrote to that world. I have two small bookshelves on my left side of my desk chair here in my office, my home office where I keep these books. Also on these two bookshelves are other key books in my life that I have read and reread. Nine books by the late Francis Schaeffer, an American Christian author and Renaissance man, but most importantly, a Christian apologist. Though his books were written 40 plus years ago, you would do well to read everything you can get your hands on by Schaefer. You'll be surprised how insightful and almost prophetic his books are. He saw the train wreck that is the American society today long before it happened. Unfortunately, nobody really took what he had to say about the coming cultural collapse seriously. In his day, he was highly sought after as an author, university lecturer, Christian church and conference speaker, yet the Christian church took no corrective actions to stave off the cultural collapse that he foretold in which we now find ourselves. I have some books on pers personal devotion here on these shelves, with one book in particular I read and reread, Ordering Your Private World by Gordon MacDonald. On the back cover it reads, Where people live with disorder within, there is anxiety and little growth. But where the private world is constantly realigned and regulated, there is remarkable personal development and Christian witness. The purpose of this podcast episode, though, is not to cover the bibliography of my personal library, but to inspire you to think back on books you've read that had an impact for good in your life and let it inspire you to make reading an important part of your life now, if it isn't already. Perhaps like me, you still possess some of those meaningful books from your past. Or perhaps you've never been much of a reader and books don't mean much to you. But here's the takeaway for all of us, though. Some things are best relayed, transmitted to your brain and mind in a linear, written, words-on-the-page fashion rather than audio, video, 3D holographic depiction, 360 degrees virtual reality goggles, or any other format of data transmission. Here is how I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. The God of the universe, in His infinite wisdom, chose to communicate His mind, His thinking regarding us and our cosmos through the written word. You say, well, Kenny, that is the vehicle, vehicle he chose at the time because electricity and none of the other technologies existed. And I say, hey, that's my point. God chose the technology of someone writing on a page to communicate his mind to us over every other vehicle of data transmission. If digital forms of communications were better, he would have injected that technology into the world at that point in history, period. Or better yet, if the best means for you and I to know him, know his word, or know, know our world and know the meaning and purpose of life was through a cosmic data cable that plugged directly into our brains and tethered to heaven, he would have done it. Instead, he chose the written word. You see, the word is ultimate. The Apostle John tells us in his gospel, in John chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning was the word, and the Greek word there is logos, and the Logos word was with God, and the Logos, the word, was God. Then he goes on to say in verse 14 about the Logos, the word, that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, the ancient Greek mind held to the idea that there was an eternal flame of knowledge or reason that was available to the mind of man as carried by words that could enlighten you, that could give you wisdom, insight into life. John defines to the Greeks that the Logos is a person, the second person of the Trinity. John purposely starts his gospel with a throwback to the book of Genesis 
in the beginning to reveal to us the eternal nature and deity of Creator, Sustainer, Lord and Savior, Living Word, Jesus Christ. Then the Bible goes on to teach in the New Testament, in the book of Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, 12, it says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The King David in Psalm 119.11 said, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The living word of God, Jesus Christ, and his revealed written word, the Bible, are ultimate. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24.35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The Apostle Peter echoed those words in 1 Peter 25, The word of the Lord endures forever, and this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. In general life application, all this informs us that there is something powerful and most productive in the linear, point-to-point, communication form of the written word contained in books that flows from one human mind to another. And in the spiritual realm, the Bible, the living word of God, communicates his truth that he wants us to know by means of his written word. His word is alive, and through the means of His Holy Spirit, we understand the mysteries it reveals. 1 Corinthians tells us in chapter 2, verse 12, Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. So friend, if you haven't read a good book in a while, I encourage you to find something that interests you and get back to reading. It will minister to your soul and facilitate peace in your life. You can get a library card at your local library. Did you know most libraries now have access to digital books you can check out through your library portal? I still, of course, highly encourage the paper printed form. It's organic and works best with your organic brain. (laughs) But I also own a Kindle White and purchase or borrow books through that avenue as well. You can also find a jillion, look it up, is that a real word? You can also find a jillion books to read for free on your phone, iPad, tablet, or desktop. One of the best kept secrets on the planet is archive.org, archive.org, A-R-C-H-I-V-E dot org, O-R-G. It is an amazing website that is an amalgamation of a massive amount of books and every other form of media. If all you have is a digital Bible on your smartphone, I encourage you to get a real printed book of the Bible. I'm not being old-fashioned, eccentric, or obsessive, but there really is a major difference in reading the Bible only in digital form where the words on the page are really not all there at the same time. Did you know that? Digitally, all the words are not there at the same time. Every form of digital technology has a screen write refresh rate. Your eyes can't immediately distinguish it, but your brain sure can. So I encourage you to read from a printed Bible once in a while. If you can't afford one, you can contact the Gideons and they will give you one for free. Isn't it interesting that the Beatles and their famous hit Rocky Raccoon immortalized the Gideon Bible, the Gideon Bible in that song? They sang Rocky Raccoon checked into his room only to find Gideon's Bible. Then later in the song, after Rocky gets shot in the local, in the local saloon, that Rocky Raccoon got back in his room only to find Gideon's Bible. Gideon checked out, and he left it, no doubt, to help with good Rocky's revival. How do they know about the Gideon Bible? Think about it. All those nights in local hotels, there it was, in the center nightstand drawer just waiting to be picked up and read. I'll bet you they did. They are without excuse. Let's hope against all odds that John Lennon read the words of that printed paper Bible. 
and at some point prior to being shot to death by a crazed fan, invited the living word, Jesus Christ, into his heart to be his Lord and Savior. Maybe it happened. I've been watching the musician China Phillips Baldwin's YouTube channel, California Preaching, a play on words from her, from her famous mother, Michelle Phillips' 1960s hit song, California Dreamin'. Her father, John, and mother, Michelle, made up half of the singing group, The Mamas and the Papas. She said she grew up in a very secular home and environment that did not even have one Bible in the house. Sadly, that's the situation in many, if not most, of American homes today. At this point in the writing of this podcast, my wife called me to supper. It was late and I was tired. As we finished supper, a powerful thought hit my mind. Had I wrapped up the podcast before supper, I would have missed it. The definitive proof regarding the power of the written word in books. In the Old Testament book of Daniel, it says in chapter 7, verse 9, Daniel speaking, he said, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. The books Daniel refers to are then picked up at the very last book of the Bible in the book of Revelation. In chapter 3, verse 5, it says, He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. In chapter 13, he says, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. In chapter 17, he says, The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. And then there in chapter 20, he says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The condemning record of the acts of those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life are now being recorded in the books. And the documented acts of sin are going to condemn the evil ones, those who died without Jesus Christ as their Savior. Condemn them to an eternal hell prepared for the devil and his angels. The Lord is not going to appeal to a cosmic video recording of the acts of sin. He is going to consult the record books of sin. Wow, heavy stuff. (laughs) A lot to absorb. My prayer for you, my friend, is that you know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I encourage you to read the Bible daily for your own spiritual health and a printed one if you can get it. And enjoy a good book of your choice to add to your life of peace. And with that, my friend, I bid you peace.